series on, on the Holy Spirit and exploring the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the person and power of the Holy Spirit rather is the title of the whole series. And I would like to look at you, look this morning at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to start looking at that with you. And so I'd like to start in Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to read a, a nice chunky portion up to about verse 21. Uh, it starts in the beginning of the chapter and says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided as tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished and said, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed and said to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked them and said, They are filled with new wine. And then verse 14, But Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon turned to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to be in some meetings like that. It's, uh, just God moving in power, pouring out His spirits, and doing amazing things. And um, this is a, a fascinating portion of Scripture. This is hundreds of years after Joel had prophesied these things. Peter gets up and he interprets those events on Pentecost as the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And ever since that time, the church is now moving into a whole, uh, moving forward into a whole new dimension of the promise of God uh, that he, he, he promised through Joel. And this is part of our, our wonderful inheritance that we have as believers, uh, that we can enjoy the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Having said that, for me it's also sad to have to admit and recognize that this amazing experience of receiving the empowering grace of God, and that's really what this chapter describes, the empowering grace of God, instead of unifying the church and bringing the church together over 
uh, history as one family, unfortunately, it's been the source of great division and strife separating believers over many, many generations from their destiny in God. It's a, it's a tragedy, actually. This great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which should be a great blessing to every believer, has become a thing of division and strife. Uh, my, my personal conviction is that the devil, the enemy, or however you want to describe him, has, has caused to many people to think that um, the various passages that we read in the book of Acts, for example, must be normative practice. They must be how it happens for us. And so they focus on individual texts to try and prove their point rather than seeing the overall picture of what God wants to show us in the whole book of Acts as His heart towards us as His family. And so over the next couple of weeks, we are going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture to, um, to focus on what God has for us as His church, but not, we're not going to focus on a single passage as our framework. We're going to look at all the texts of, uh, of the book of Acts which give a more a fuller expression of God's heart towards us as His church and how He poured out His Spirit upon the early church. And for me, the main thing is, I hope we will see that God is really, really very interested in bringing people into His family. And He uses different experiences and He uses different ways to do that that are not the same every time. And I'm convinced that God is not particularly interested in the order of events, in the way things happen. What He is interested in is that he, p people experience His power and experience Him. And so He wants many to in be engaged. He wants many to encounter His saving power. And He wants all of us to be absolutely overwhelmed with the sufficiency of the cross, all that He's done for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. And so I hope over the next couple of weeks as we explore this together that some of the controversy around the, around the baptism of the Holy Spirit will be removed for you and uh, that something I hope God will bring a loving and unifying perspective as we try and go forward as a church. And I'm, I'm convinced that, uh, that God also is fully committed to bringing down walls of division that exist in churches, in denominations, and also in between people as individuals within churches. Um, God wants all of us to be equipped to understand the breadth and the height and the depth of His love. He wants all of us to be transformed by the power of His Holy Spirit. He wants every community to be impacted with uh, believers that are absolutely sold out for the kingdom and uh, empowered by the Spirit to live a life that is going to bring glory to Him. That's, that's what He wants. And I was just reflecting on this um, this week. You know, sometimes when you get saved in a certain way, you think it has to be like that for everybody else. So I know some people that have been radically saved, and, and the day that they were saved, they were addicted to alcohol. Their, their alcohol addiction was taken away from them. They had all sorts of issues in their lives that God dealt with immediately. And then I know other believers that come to an understanding of who God is and it's a slower process in their lives. And over a course of time, various things have, uh, have unlocked in their lives and they've been progressively set free. This is the danger that we have in the, in the church is that when we have a certain experience, we say it has to be like that for everybody else. And unless it's like our experience, it's not valid. 
And my point to you this morning is, as we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to just encourage you, God can do anything. And as we look at the Scripture, we'll see that God does move in amazing ways that are different for different groups of people. And I think the tragedy is, is that uh, because of our Western thinking, we like to have dibs. We like to think that we understand everything perfectly, and so our way is the right way. And then we put our way onto everybody else and say, if your way is not like mine, it's wrong. Are you with me? And I think that's something of the tragedy of what we face as believers in the church. And so I want to just, as an introduction this morning, give you four basic views of baptism of the Holy Spirit that have developed over time in the church. I think it's helpful to do that because it gives us a framework that we can not only understand something of history, but also understand other people a little bit better. And so I want to encourage you, whatever your background, whatever your experience, whatever you might have come from a denominational background, you might have come from no church background, I want to encourage you this morning that whatever your background, whatever your exposure to the Holy Spirit, God is bigger and He wants to do more. And I want to encourage you with that. That's my heart this morning, is to encourage us, whatever our background is, whatever our experience of the Holy Spirit is, that God has more for us, that God wants more to do more in us, and He wants to re release much more through us into the, into the community. And so, over time, churches have been divided on three things in terms of the Holy Spirit. The first is, when the baptism of the Spirit happens... The second is what the evidence is of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And third is the process you go through when you receive the Holy Spirit. And these things have divided the church. And I, like I said, it's because I think most people want to be proved right and think that they have understanding. Um, and so whatever our, our doctrinal system, God is much bigger than our Roman Catholic background or Orthodox background or Reformed background, whatever it is. God is bigger than those things. But the four basic systems that people have embraced over years, the first is infant baptism. Now, infant baptism is uh, held on to by, for example, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, some elements of the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, you might know some of these uh, denominations, and uh, some Lutheran groups. And they believe that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit as at, at the time of infant baptism. And that when you get baptized as an infant, you are then baptized by the Holy Spirit at that moment. And then the gift of the Spirit is, is stirred up in your life again when you are confirmed as a, in your teenagers. That's why in the Roman Catholic Church, confirmation is a big deal. Yeah? Because it's, it's supposed to signify that uh, renewal of the Holy Spirit that was supposed to have happened at when you were baptized as an infant. All right? Now, over a course of time, you're going to understand where my convictions lie. All right? That's not something I hold to personally. All right? Secondly, there's another group that holds to uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion. When you come to Christ, when you are saved, this group would say, that's when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so evangelicals, Reformed um, uh, theology, Baptists, uh, some Methodist groups, this is what they believe. 
that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. And after that, there can be many subsequent times that you are filled again with the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So there's that initial baptism into the body of Christ, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, being filled by the Holy Spirit when you are born again. And then you can have other times where you experience an amazing infilling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? As you can see from my language, I think that's a little bit more what the Bible describes. And we can look at the Scriptures over the next couple of, of, um, of weeks. Then there's a third group, uh, which uh, you might have heard of holiness churches. Have you heard of holiness churches? Particularly in America, uh, there's a, t- a group of churches called the Church of the Nazarene. And these people, this group of people, believe that um, you are born again by the Spirit when you are saved, and you're filled with the Spirit, and you're sealed with the Spirit. But they, th- they think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They call it a second work of grace. And what they're really talking about is sanctification. They're saying evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you are filled with love. You are filled with power. You are a witness for God. There's an evidence in that there's fruit in your life. And that's what they judge and say that is evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So it's slightly different. Now, you might say, well, why is this important? Well, it is important because, you see, it all depends what you emphasize. (laughs) For me, if you are only looking for fruit in people's lives and saying, uh, if, if there's no fruit in life, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, that sounds like it could be quite legalistic to me. Don't you think so? And that's what we always need to be careful of. We, we want to be free of legalism. We want to be living from a place of freedom, uh, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, but not going around judging people and saying, well, you're not loving, you can't be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or you got angry, that means you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah? This can be very negative. And then there's a group of, the fourth group is Pentecostals. All right? Pentecostals believe that you are saved, you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that comes after conversion, and you have to seek it with all of your heart and desire it, and God pours out His Spirit upon you, and you are baptized. There's something tangible that happens, like we saw in the book of Acts, where there's tongues of fire, there's some kind of physical evidence that God has come upon you, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what Pentecostals believe, Pentecostal churches, is that the evidence of that is speaking in tongues. And so Pentecostals will say, unless you speak in tongues, you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now that's not my personal conviction. I agree with Pentecostalism in this sense that I think there is a baptism that we need to desire with all of our hearts that is, we can experience, that is something that you know is happening to you. When you look at the, the, we look at the Scriptures in the next couple of weeks, all of them, the people that were involved in that moment knew something extraordinary was happening. It wasn't just run-of-the-mill, everyday things. They knew there was something Tongues of fire, great wind. Uh, When Paul gets baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit, he knows there's something extraordinary happening. This is what I'm talking about, yeah? The baptism of the Spirit, you you know that something is happening when God is upon you and baptizing you with His Spirit. And so, those are the four main groups that uh, historically the church has held to and that has caused division in the church. And so... 
Can I just talk a little bit more about this evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Um, Protestant charismatics, even Roman Catholic charismatics, and Pentecostals will say the primary evidence of speaking uh, of the Holy Spirit's baptism is speaking in tongues. Most evangelicals, so, um, so some Anglican groups, for example, would tend to emphasize the fruit of the Spirit. They would say the fruit of the Spirit is more important, all right? So faith, hope, and love, those things are the evidence of, of um, God's baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I love what R.T. Kendall, he's one of my heroes, I love what he says. He says this, he says, People of the Word tend to emphasize the fruits of the Spirit, and people that are of the Spirit tend to emphasize the gifts of the Spirit. And then he says this, We need both the gifts and the fruit, and we need both equally and urgently. I love that. It's the Word and the Spirit. And there's truth in the, in the, the evangelical position, and there's truth in the, uh, the Pentecostal position, and we need both. We need both. We've always said in this church, we want to embrace the fullness of the Word, and we want to embrace the fullness of the Spirit. So what are we looking for? We are looking for people that are showing evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives by the power of the Spirit. So we are looking for kindness and self-control and love and peace and patience in our lives. And at the same time, we are looking for the power of God. We want to see healing. We want to see prophecy. We want to see salvation. We want to see it all. So I'm greedy. I want as much of God as I can have. Yes, we want both. And so you will see that uh, as I continue to preach on these, um, I'm going to preach from a particular point of view. I'm not preaching from a Catholic point of view. I'm not preaching from a holiness perspective. I'm preaching primarily from a Protestant, charismatic, Pentecostal perspective because it's my belief that there's truth in those perspectives. But as I've, I've said before, the tragedy comes when we try and fit Scripture into our, to make sure that it, it confirms our particular point of view. And so I am saying right at the beginning, in everything that happens, as best as I can describe to you what I believe the Bible says, God is bigger than that. He can do anything. All right? So what's most important then is what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And so let's just look at those verses in Acts again. And I love Acts as a book because it is really about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's really about the birth of the church. And um, we are going to see many occurrences of the Holy Spirit being poured out as we study uh, through the book of Acts. But um, I want to just say this as, a, as the first thing. The book of Acts really is about what the church is meant to be. All right? For me, when I read it. It's what the church is meant to be. It's not, it's not a, a, um, a monument to what the church was. You know? And sometimes when we read the book of Acts, it's like the, it can be that kind of thing. Oh, you know, that, that's what the church was. Wasn't it glorious in the early church? Didn't they experience power in the early church? It wouldn't be nice if, if it, it could be like that again. This kind of sort of uh, sentimentalism and longing of, of something that is past. I want to say to you, I believe with all of my heart, the book of Acts is describing what the church is and should be right now. Not what it once was in its glory days years ago. Come on now. That's what God has for us. He wants us to see the fullness of His Spirit poured out. He wants us to see those same signs and wonders and, and healings and miracles. And do you notice um, 
as we read that, that scripture together, that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens and is poured out, it's a tangible, measurable experience. You'll notice that in the other scriptures that we read as well. They saw tongues of fire. They, saw, they heard a rushing wind. That was so, so extraordinary that people were saying, what is going on? <laughs> what is this thing that we are seeing? Do you notice also that the group that experienced this, they already are believers. They are disciples of Jesus. And this is a second experience that is poured out upon them. Here's the first consequence that I see out of that scripture when the Holy Spirit is poured out in power like that. And this is what I hope we will all get an increased longing for to see in our church community. The first thing is, we see in verse 5 that a crowd gathers People are surprised. People are amazed by this event. Uh, ironically, the Jewish people that, um, that are described, that are, have already got together, are gathered to celebrate the giving of the law. Isn't that amazing? That's why they were there. They had gathered, the Jews had gathered to celebrate the giving of the law. They are meant to be God's people. They are meant to know God uh, in a personal way. And yet this extraordinary thing happens. Suddenly they discover the small group of followers of Jesus that really do know God. They hear this group of people praising God in all sorts of languages, speaking in tongues, and their conclusion is, these guys are weird, they must be drunk. That's their conclusion. So the reality is that the church in Jerusalem, the small group of, of, of believers, is experiencing this outpouring of power to the extent that it gets the attention of both the religious and the unconverted. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, I long to see that in my, in my day, that we will see such power that both the religious and the unconverted will have to come and say, this is extraordinary, God is moving. Amen? So that's the first thing that happens. There's the sense of wonder, surprise. It affects those that are saved. It, it affects the religious that are, have gathered together. It affects unbelievers. It affects everyone. And this great crowd gathers to see what's going on. Secondly, this is the second consequence. Do you notice the first thing that happens after the Holy Spirit is poured out is great preaching. And I'm not just saying that as a preacher. The tongues is not the preaching. The preaching, if you look at it, only starts in verse 14. Peter begins to speak under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not a well-prepared sermon. He didn't even know he was going to have to get up and speak. There's this spontaneous thing that happens. God moves. The anointing of God comes upon Peter. He gets up and he starts to preach. And when you look at the whole sermon from, from verse 14 to verse 36, this is the first sermon recorded in the, in the New Testament, I want to put it to you that that is what uh, the kind of preaching that happens when there is the real presence and anointing of the Holy Spirit. The preaching is powerful. It grips people in the heart. It's simple. They can apply it to their lives. That's the kind of preaching we, we need to see happen. And I'm longing for that. I'm longing that my preaching one day will be like that. It's very direct. It's like God is just speaking in a personal way. It's not academic teaching. It's not intellectual. It's this life-giving word that comes out of Peter under the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it brings life to people. 
Can I just put it to you also that it's important we notice what is not in Peter's sermon. What is not in Peter's sermon? It's not about religion. It's not about politics. It's not about social issues. It's not about current affairs. I put it to you, much of the preaching about, that is called preaching in the church is about current affairs, political things, uh, religion in general, and not really about Jesus. I, I say that as a preacher. And for me, if we're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit poured out, then surely we need to get back to the kind of preaching that produces the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not about politics. And politics is important. It's not about social issues either, and social issues are important. What is important most of all, what is the first thing that Peter does when he starts um, explaining what is happening in verse 14, he goes as quickly as he can to the person of Jesus and he preaches Jesus and he says let me explain to you the reason of all of this why all of this is happening it's about Jesus that's good preaching that enables us in all of our lives whatever's happening in our lives the preacher enables us to be pointed to Jesus and see that's what Peter preached and I'm fully convinced the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out in power is that the preaching is transformed and the preaching is powerful in a whole, whole new level. It's, uh, it's ironic to me that when the preaching is not powerful, people turn to all sorts of other things to get bums on seats. Sorry, is that rude in England to say the word? Bottoms, to get bottoms on seats. Ah, so if the preaching is not powerful, we need extravagant worship to get the people there. If the preaching is not powerful, we need ministry, man. We just need to pray for people. That's what we really need. I put it to you, we do need those things. We need extravagant worship. We need wonderful ministry. But do you notice that ministry in the New Testament always comes after preaching? Not before. The gospel is always preached first. These signs will follow the preaching of the gospel. You will lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. Sometimes we want the ministry without the preaching. In the Bible, it's the other way around. Always the preaching, then the ministry. Always the Word and the Spirit working together. Are you with me? I'm not trying to make enemies this morning. I'm trying to encourage you, all right? So what is the content of Peter's preaching? In verse 14, he has a brief explanation of what's happening and he shows from the Old Testament what, uh, the, the, uh, he, uh, uh, Joel's words and he ends in verse 16 and he says these things have been fulfilled in your day and what Joel was prophesying really was that Israel would be spiritually restored in a day when God would pour out his spirit and give these dramatic experiences of God by the Holy Spirit and they were dreams and visions that's what he says and then in the second half of Joel's prophecy from verse 28 onwards which I read he speaks about this he talks about the coming day of the Lord do you notice that? which really is about judgment and salvation all kind of mixed up together. And Joel says, as the Spirit is poured out, um, God is going to show wonders in the heavens. That's the language. And part of that was certainly fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. But uh, the kind of language that Joel uses here is certainly referring also forward to the judgment of God that is still to come. And um, the total vision of what Joel speaks out includes these two things. First, that God is going to pour out His Spirit but there's still a second aspect that God is still going to fulfill. Uh, 
in, in the future. And so there's a sense of, of, of the, the thing being fulfilled, but still something else is still going to come. And so there's this new level that God wants to release into the church. Uh, it's a new ability to speak for the Lord, and, the, and, that, and that is through the gift of prophecy. There's a new level of being able to understand God's will for us, and that comes through dreams and visions. And the wonderful thing is, is that in the Old Testament, not everyone could enjoy those things. And this is the wonder of the promise of, of Joel, is that in the, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, everyone experiences those things. Everyone is able to prophesy. Everyone is able to have dreams and visions that can understand the will of God. And, it, and it's, it's not according to age. It says men, women, sons, daughters, every kind of person, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, everyone is able to experience those things. Um, that's the great promise of Joel, and that's what we have to be longing for with all of our hearts, that God would pour out His Spirit like that, that we could enjoy those things too. Lastly, in verse 30, I just want to read that portion again. It says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and, and columns of smoke. The, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. And it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that. You know, this language that, um, that uh, is being described as kind of Old Testament language, isn't it? It reminds me of... Um, of uh, Exodus, it reminds me of the plagues, it reminds me of, of the Israelites um, fleeing from Egypt, and there was thunder and lightning and hail, all these extraordinary things that happened. And what Joel is saying in his prophecy is that similar kind of things will happen in the surrounding nations when God pours out His Spirit. And, and, and the language really is describing these great upheavals that will happen in the world. And we know that when Jesus, we've just celebrated the Easter resurrection story. When Jesus was raised from the dead, what happened? There was an earthquake. The tombs were broken open. The, su the, the, the sun stood, the, the darkness covered the earth for, for, for three hours. And there were these extraordinary signs in the heavens. And that's kind of what Joel is kind of using a similar language. But do you notice, and this is what I love, do you notice that right in the middle of Joel's prophecy about these extraordinary things that that are going to happen in the future and the, the judgment of God, right in the middle of that, he has this little verse. Did you notice it? And it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that. Even when God is speaking about judgment and anger and wrath that, is, that has been fulfilled um, on the cross of Christ, he's saying in the midst of that, there is still mercy for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, it thrills me. God is so good to us. Even when He's speaking about what seems to be a negative thing, His heart is still, no, I want to save everyone. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's wonderful. And do you notice it says the five things in terms of salvation. Salvation comes to us as we call on the Savior. The word Lord is Yahweh. We call on the name of Yahweh. Salvation is for everyone. That's what it says there. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It talks about Jerusalem, the place where Jesus was crucified. And I love that. All these little things we can learn from that one little phrase. And so Joel is pointing us to Jesus, really. Uh, in verse 22 we read, uh, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs 
that God did through him in your midst, as you know yourself, this Jesus delivered up according to the, de the definitive plan and knowledge, foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. I mean, Peter's very brave, eh? <laughs> he's getting up and he's saying to these, these guys that are gathered there, actually, this is all because of Jesus and what he's done, and he's the one that you crucified. You, the ones who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead months ago, and you, you went through the streets saying, uh, Hosanna in the highest, and laying your palms uh, at his feet as he came through on the, uh, on the donkey. You, you guys did that, every one of you, and you are the same ones that called for Barabbas and said, Cru crucify him. Peter is incredibly bold. That doesn't come naturally. That comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's basically saying, you got what you wanted. This is the wonder of, of God's sovereignty, isn't it? In the midst of Peter being very direct to these people, he's also saying, he said, all of this happened and was part of the def definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God used fickle people. God used people that changed their minds like that still to bring about His plan of salvation for all of us. And that's the wonder of what Peter points us to again. So in summary, this experience of the empowering of the Holy Spirit is one of the most important that you and I can experience. We need it as believers, every single one of us. Unfortunately, it has been an issue of division in the church. My encouragement to you is whatever your background, whatever your tradition or your lack of background or lack of tradition, God is bigger than that. God wants you to experience much more of Him, much more of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to know and love the Holy Spirit deeply as He wants me to know and love the Holy Spirit deeply. And I encourage you with all of my heart to desire much more of the Holy Spirit. And if you have not experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to ask God and to seek that with all of your heart. Why? Because amazing things happen when the Holy Spirit is poured out. I was speaking to someone last night who said this. They said, I, when I was saved, my eternal destiny in heaven, my future, I knew it was secure. That's what they said to me. They said, I, I absolutely was convinced when I said, I knew that I'd been set free. I knew my future, my, my eternal destiny was secure. And then they said this, and when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, my life now changed forever. That's the difference. You see, we can know our eternal future is secure. We can know all those things, but we can still be striving a little bit to please God because we think we have to. But when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when grace enables us, we can live our lives in a relaxed way that is not possible in our own strength. That's what I'm talking about. That happens when the baptism of the Holy Spirit is poured out on your life. Yeah? That's what I'm talking about. This person said to me last night, like I said, I knew my eternal future was secure, but when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, a whole lot of things that had been difficult in my life suddenly stopped being difficult. There was just an ease. I could read the Scripture. I knew God was speaking to me. The things that I'd struggled with in terms of my, my personality were changing, and I wasn't even trying to change them by myself. It was God in me who was doing it. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I, I need more of that. <laughs> we all need more of that. 
That happens by the power of the Holy Spirit when He baptizes us and fills us and refreshes us. And so amazing things happen. We want crowds to be drawn to this place, don't we? That happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out in power. That we don't have to put on a good show. People come because they hear something is happening. That's why they come. Not because we're putting on a really slick show. But no, God is here in power. People are being saved. The, the, the deaf are hearing. People are, are being ra raised from the dead. Let me even be bold and say that. Come on now. People hear and they come. Did they, did they the, in Acts 2, did they say, we're going to put on a really good show today? Man, it's going to be slick. You're going to hear worship like you've never heard before. Our audio visuals, they're going to be brilliant. Absolutely mind-blowing. And you must come and see what we're going to do. Was it that? It was exactly the opposite of that. They didn't even know what God was going to do. Suddenly God moves in power. There's an extraordinary thing that happens. And they don't even know what's happening. And yet they say, God is here. I want to be where God is. So I'm trying to encourage you to stir your faith for what is possible when God is poured out in power. We won't have to work hard to try and get people here when God moves in power. Why? Because they will be drawn. Wherever there's revival, people are drawn supernaturally. They don't even know when you read the stories of the Welsh revival. They didn't even know why they were going to a certain place. They just felt drawn. They had to be there. And where they were, God was there and they were changed. I want to be in the meetings like that. Well, you don't know what's going to happen. You just know I've got to be there. We were dreaming last, yesterday with our leadership team and saying, wouldn't it be extraordinary that on a Sunday you had to queue to get through these doors because people were so excited to be in God's presence with His people. I long for that. One day in my life, just to experience. People can't wait to get to church. They just want to be where God is. They, they, they're out of bed in the morning, fresh, ready. I'm going to meet with God's people today. I'm going to meet with God today. I'm excited. That's what happens when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens in people's lives and they are transformed. Signs and wonders. Powerful preaching. Where Jesus is lifted up, His promise, He will draw all men to Himself. Signs and wonders follow. The gifts of the Spirit are evidenced in people's lives. Surely that's what we should be longing for with all of our hearts, desiring and seeking with all of our hearts. And so I was trying to conclude, so let me conclude. Wherever you are, I want to encourage you to want more, to, to desire more, to, to let the hunger for these things grow in your life. And if you're sitting there this morning saying, Anthony, you're absolutely crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. That's also fine. But we're going to go on a journey together. We're going to ask God to show Himself to us. Yeah, we want more of Him. That's why we're here. We're not here for a good show. Uh, if you want a good show, I can give you a number of good shows you can go to in London. They do it far better than I can ever do it. All right? West End does good shows all the time. We're not here for a show. We are here to meet with God. We are here for His people. This is, a, this is not just a club. This is a spiritual community. That's the only reason why we get together, really, is to meet with God and to meet with His people. And the coffee is nice, but that's not the reason we get together. You hear what I'm saying? We are a spiritual community. That's all we have. We have Jesus, and that is enough. That's more than enough. So I want to encourage you. We're going to pray next week for people 
that have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about it this week. I want you to ask God. I want, I want you to, to, to get alone with God. And, and wherever you are in your life, I want you to say to the, I would encourage you to say to the Lord this week, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. And let that hunger grow in you. And we're going to pray for people that have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit next week. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you just want in the filling of God, we're going to pray for you next week. And I'm not looking for anything to happen. You understand? I'm not looking for, for things to happen. I'm just asking God to come and to, to refresh His people. I don't know what will happen. And there's no pressure on me to make anything happen either. This is about Jesus. It's not about me. Okay, I'll just mess it up anyway. But we, want God, we want to pray for people next week. I want you this week, think about it, pray about it, and, and uh, ask God to do something in your heart to desire more of Him wherever you are. Amen? God bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, can we just break bread as we finish? Yeah? Um, let's just pray. and We're going to break bread as a family. Jesus, I want to thank you for these stories in the, your word that are so inspiring and so encouraging and so, so challenging for us. But I pray, Lord, that um, for us as a church community that you really would do an extraordinary thing in us as we seek you. As we come and ask that you would pour yourself out, we, we ask that you would do an extraordinary thing. Um, Lord, I, I want to be bold and say, Lord, let it be that one day we cannot get into this building be because people are so excited they want to be here because they're going to meet with you. Lord, I want to thank you for music. I want to thank you for every... every uh, gift that you've given that can help. But Lord, we, we never want those things to take the place of Jesus. Jesus, this is about you. This is about who you are. And Lord, we want to meet with you every time we get together. And our cry from deep within our hearts is that you will show us more of yourself. That as we seek you, Holy Spirit, you would pour yourself out upon us in power. That we might see signs and wonders and healing and deliverance and salvation and restoration into our lives and through our lives into this community. We are hungry, Jesus, for all that you want to pour out upon us. And Lord, as we break bread this morning, we simply remind ourselves again that we need you, Jesus. We are so sorry for the things that we've done that have hurt other people, the things, uh, words that we've spoken that have been unkind. But we thank you, Lord, as we come to your table this morning, we thank you that your blood washes us. And we remind ourselves once again that even though our sins are as red as scarlet, you wash us white as snow. And our security is in what you have completed for us on the cross. And we rest in that and we rejoice in that. And we are grateful today, Jesus, for the cross. And so as we eat and drink these symbols of your body and your blood poured out for us, we thank you for what they signify. We thank you for the washing that they, they illustrate in our lives, that we are set free and that our future is eternally secure because of what you have done for us. And we ask in all of this, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would bless this church congregation with power. Just because you want to. Just because you want your people to be empowered. I pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.